OTB GAA Burns was on another planet this year boys like in the first half of the All-Ireland final this year Owen Murphy put a puck out down Burns puts the claw up and puts it back over the bar like. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us you're welcome along Wednesday Night Rugby as we look forward to the weekend's action very happy to say Keith Wood is with us good evening good evening Joseph and Fiona Hayes Grand Slam winner as well evening Fiona hey Joe how are you very good so Keith neutral venue your life depends on it who is the best team in the world who are you picking to represent you? <laughs> that's that's absolutely thrown me straight into it. Um, <clears throat> today. Right now. A gun to your head. Um, Who will win a game to... to hmm, could be... I don't know if it's Ireland. Um, it would be Ireland, New Zealand or France at the moment but asking me exactly who would win today it depends who they're playing they're playing whoever your second option is I suppose the next best <laughs> um, and Ireland know it's to save Keith Wood's life as well I don't know if that offers them an extra <laughs> impetus what? <laughs> Ireland know it's to save my life they might they might, they might throw the game um I, did, I, I would go with a team that knows how to win in the very big competitions, and that would be South Africa. It would be South Africa or New Zealand, but not New Zealand this year. Um, so it could be South Africa. All right, okay. Fiona, who's, who's saving your life? Uh, you know me, Joy, I always back my own. I am going to have to go with uh, Ireland, playing great rugby at the minute. Uh, so look, we, we, we'll go with Ireland. We haven't seen enough of France. I would have been uh, France... Um, up into recent but they've been been keeping quiet maybe that's a, a good thing for them but uh, we'll see going forward Okay well we'll get a good look at both obviously on Saturday and there's been much talk of world champions and world number one side and so hence the question uh, the Ireland A team has been named for this game against the All Blacks 15 on Friday and that gives us numerous uh, clues as to what team Andy Farrell is going to name for Saturday when he names it tomorrow so Michael Lowry Jacob Stockdale Jimmy O'Brien amongst others start on Friday so it generally leads most observers to conclude that Hugo Keenan will start Matt Hansen will start and Robert Balakun will start in the back three for Ireland Craig Casey plays on Friday he captains the team on Friday actually so Gibson Park's going to feature for the first time this season Connor Murray we knew already would win his 100th cap on uh, Saturday Andy Farrell had said as much and Kieran Frawley Jack Crowley both involved Friday so we can assume Joey Carberry is fit to take his place on the bench so the general uh, effort at naming the Irish team is Hugo Keenan fullback, Balakoon, Ringrose Henshaw centre, Mac Hansen on the wing, Johnny Sexton and Gibson Park to start, Andrew Porter, Dan Sheehan, Tyke Furlong the front row, second row Tyke Byrne, James Ryan, and then uh, the guests as I've seen uh, Peter O'Mahony, Josh van der Fleer, Caelan Doris with Jack Conan on the bench. So is that largely how you'd see it, Fiona? We're not missing anything glaring there, I think. No, I think that looks like uh, the way it's going to go and especially with the Ireland A team. I wasn't sure about that back three, Joe, but I think that's kind of set in stone who they're going to go with. And I suppose the pictures that we see of them training and stuff and, and who's in bibs and whatnot during the week, you can get a you can get a sneaky look into who will be starting as well. Hmm. So I think you're, you're spot on there. Keith, what effect do you think Saturday has on the World Cup meeting? 
Um, I don't know. I, I think it would be, um, I think it's incredibly important for Ireland to try and back up what they've done this year. And um, and without um, stepping back from the initial question that you asked me, I would tip Ireland to win at the weekend. Um, but the, the manner in which Ireland have played has been a bit of a change from what we've had uh, over the previous two years. It is something that has um, seems to be incredibly comfortable for the players. So I think uh, Andy Farrell has made the players um, simple, but has a lot of options. And it's about people making the right decision, um, but having four or five options and they decide which one they want at different times. And I think that they're good footballers. So that suits them. And I think they look happy playing it and they they look like they're enjoying themselves an awful lot. And every noise piece of noise you hear is that that they're enjoying themselves. There's a lot of fun in this. <clears throat> so how will um, South Africa pick holes in that? Because South Africa have and had consistently had the ability of demolishing different types of structures and imposing their way of playing. And Ireland need to find out whether there are chinks in that style, because there are going to be chinks in that style over the next 12 months, and it's how do Ireland react to it. So I think it's coming at the perfect time, because it's an awkward, difficult, heavy-hitting type uh, contest that will knock them out of, I won't say they're in a comfort zone, but it'll knock them out of the the sort of rosy glow that they've had after winning a series down in, in New Zealand. So how do they react to it? And can they react to it within the 80 minutes to get the win? My belief is that they will. Mm. Um, and um, it comes back to, to your question at the very start. Um, will that then be good enough in a World Cup? Would it be good enough for this is the one game that you have to have a team to win? Um I don't know if we're there yet, but I think we have a better idea of that conversation after this weekend, because this is incredibly heavy hitting. Yeah. Andy Farrell on the heavy hitting point, Fiona, mm. uh, referenced the French game and said yeah. there'll be parallels here with that night in Paris and, and another kind of examination uh, under the, the, the scrutiny of heavy hitting on Saturday. The other thing to, to mention, I know you watch South Africa right across the year, any of the games I saw, what jumps out immediately about their defence, as well as the heavy hitting, is just the speed of that rush defence. I mean, mm. they shoot up and they really shoot up. So how is the Irish attack equipped to handle the heavy hitting and that rush defence? Yeah, I suppose we're going to we're going to see on 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 Saturday. I mean, that's the the first thing that kind of came into my head when I saw this fixture, especially after the the All Black series. Is you know scrum, mall, physicality around the pitch. Um, the All Blacks probably didn't bring that enough during the summer, you know. So we we obviously came away from those games feeling very confident. But the last team that we did play was France in Paris, and I suppose we didn't come up trumps in that game. So we're going to have to to look at how we can deal with that, and you know. That that blitz defence that the South African bring is is really really good, but they also have players in the in the midfield that are really really good at making those defensive reads on when to come up, when to kind of shoot out, or when to to leave Ireland play ball. They come up hard in the centre, uh, especially in that pack area. So Ireland have to be able to to get gain line going forward. It's, I think it's gain line will be a big thing on on Saturday, Joe. How we can get go forward ball to create that extra bit of space for the backs, and it's when you create that space. 
out wide, that's when you have to, that South African defence have to question themselves. Can they shoot up? Do they have to hold? And we'll see if we're able to earn that right to go wide then. Yeah. The other thing I suppose, Keith, and to an extent this goes for every game because the breakdown is clearly important in every game, but Ireland thrive on, on fast ball. And again, you think back to that game in Paris, for instance, France did a real number on Ireland at times at the breakdown with mm. big men and that they went after Ireland at the breakdown. And it is notable, Keith, that they have uh, Dion Forey and Quagga Smith, both on the bench, both, you know, renowned poachers who can really go after Ireland at the breakdown. So you suspect slowing Irish ball down is going to be, and again, I appreciate that's a, a week in, week out kind of aspiration, but that's going to be big for South Africa, you would think. Well, it's going to be big for South Africa, but big for Ireland to try and enact fastball. So we have to resource uh, the rooks quickly enough. You know, it can't become an arm wrestle. Um, like one of the elements of playing South Africa is that they are incredibly physical. Um, you have to meet the physicality, but you don't have to copy their style of play. And actually too often, I think that happens and you, you, you get you get stuck into an arm wrestle. So it's it's talking about, you know, almost hyper efficiency at, at breakdown, both from, from the ball carrier to make certain he can um, uh, fight his way to the ground, kind of old school almost, to be able to get the ball back to where he's going to be. And and the supporting players to make certain that they can seal that off legally and, and make certain that they're almost tackling the tackler. Um, there was a great example years and years ago, Dave Wilson, who was the Australian captain, and as you were going into contact, he would tackle you, even though he was playing with you. So I played with him for Quinns. And he'd tackle the ball so that by the time you hit the ground, he was already popping the ball to the scrum half. Mm. And it meant nobody, and nobody could get anywhere near that ball. So his idea of being a seven was not to be there for an offload. It was to make certain that the scrum half had the quickest ball known to man. And that was an interesting way of doing it. And I'm not saying that we'll do something like that. But we need to make certain that the players that we have supporting are are in the perfect position to target um, the jackler so the jackler never gets into that position at all. Mm. And we've seen an awful lot of incidents over the last couple of weeks where jacklers have been wiped out because a player has been a second or second and a half too late and they've almost had to throw themselves in to have the necessary momentum to move that player. And it's resulted in penalties and yellow cards and red cards. Mm. So it's it's that attention to detail at that breakdown is, is essential for Ireland. I think as well, on that, Keith, as well, I think, you know, if things aren't going to plan, you know, they have to have a plan B that if they're not, if they're not, uh, you can practice cleaning out these rocks and you can be efficient around that area, but you have to have something else in attack if it's not working. So I suppose they're going to have to look at that area and obviously have a few different options. You know, in an ideal world, we'll be getting that quick ball. But if, if Ireland aren't getting quick ball, we need to be able to attack and not fall into that South African trap as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, given that we've the two of you on, it'd be remiss of us not to talk about set piece and, and scrum, uh, given uh, South Africa's uh, strength in, in this regard for Saturday. So they've gone with a 6-2 split at the uh, on, on the bench. And uh, I, some, I think there's a almost a misnomer that they always go 6-2, whereas in the rugby championship just gone, of the six games, they only went 6-2 for three of those games. So New Zealand twice and Argentina. 
otherwise they were 5-3 in the line series they went 6-2 once that was in the second test and if you want a kind of broad feel for things then since the line series they've played 16 matches and they've gone 6-2 in 9 of them so just past uh, halfway so they've gone 6-2 against Ireland at the weekend and uh, Malherbe always plays a tight head uh, Marks of late has been starting and I was talking to somebody who really knows the South African rugby and he was saying the way they do it is they tend to work in pairs so if Marks starts then uh, Kitchoff works with him and then they have Ineche and Mbonambi as a pair to come off the bench uh, we have Keen Healy, Rob Harry and Finlay Bealham to come off the bench so this is a uh, to what extent is this an area of concern, Fiona? Um, certainly, the replacement trio, uh, there is a question mark there. Uh, what about our front three, our starting front three against their starting front three? I think I think they can be fairly confident going into starting three. It's it's that bomb squad is where, where there's been issues in the past when they come on and they sometimes even change them up before half time, you know, because they can add that physicality and it's very hard to scrum while you're tired. Ireland haven't been doing that. I suppose when we look at the last six nations, we had a lot of players, um, even with Leinster at times, we, we see them both leaving on Porter and Furlong probably longer than a lot of teams would do. So mm. look, we know at the start of the game that the scrums, they'll have that down they'll be holding their own but it, it, it's I think it's after that half time mark where where there's changes need to be made and look some of these guys have been standing up I, I've looked at Bielham I think he's scrummaging is coming off uh, come on an awful lot with Connacht and it's these big massive games against these absolutely huge props where we can see really you know can they dig deep and can they hold their own ball mm. especially uh, Keith you've been up against it I mean you can think back to 97 and famous team talks caught on video uh there's a, a ferociousness to South African uh, scrums, I presume. Do they have different um, techniques that you might face otherwise, or is it pretty universal? Um, it's fairly universal. I, I, I think if you're looking at um, the fundamental standard for South Africa is that they are bigger men, so they're taller. Um, Marx is tall. No, Dan Sheen is tall. We're beginning to maneuver our way into that idea um, but they tend to have a taller front row they tend to be much bigger men and you're talking 19 20 21 stone um, they want to scrummage at a height now the laws would lend itself that you have to scrummage not lower than your hips and you can't be too low so that's fine but you don't have to scrummage at the height of South Africa's hips you can scrummage at the height of your own hips so you try and get yourself into a position where you're able to deal with it. But they want to keep it at the highest level possible because that's where they're at their strongest. So whatever manoeuvring Ireland can do to unsettle them, because you don't want to play into their hands. You want to make them uncomfortable. You want to, even though there's no hit in the scrum, you want to try and get that balance right where you get more comfortable in the scrum. You try and offset it an awful lot. They tend to put all eight pushing incredibly hard into it they will try and hold the ball at the back of the scrum so the scrums tend to last longer on their on their put in because they know how hard it is to hold that scrum so they want they want their scrums to last as long as they possibly can and to see if they can eke a penalty out at the end of it so the benefit of having a, a front row on the bench like they have is that they don't really lose any oomph when, when those guys uh, come on and it means it's very hard and we do change 
our our subs a little bit later, and rightly so. Um, our subs are not of the same standard um, uh, that South Africa have. There's very few teams in the world. Probably the only teams are France, South Africa, and maybe Argentina that have that strength and depth for scrummaging that comes in off the bench. So, um, but I think we'd stand up to it pretty well. But it's but it's higher. It tends to be higher. We'd be trying to bring it lower so that you can use their weight against them. That's that's the most important element. The second you play against South Africa is how do you use their strength against them? So do you do you think Ireland can break even on Saturday in that regard? Um, because there's no hits anymore, it's it makes a big difference. But the pressure is colossal. And um, it also depends on the amount of rugby that all the players have played, you know, and you're looking at it. So what you're trying to say is let's get our scrums, the ball in, the ball out, clean strike to number eight, and let's move, pick an odd scrum when you have the ball to have a go with them. Um, But try not to... um, uh, Try not to crumple at any stage. You know, I mean, nobody wants it to, to crumple, but it's sometimes you can go around the corner. And if you go around the corner, you have to do it so unbelievably slowly so that you don't lose your cohesion in a front row so that somebody doesn't kind of stumble and you get pushed in over on top of yourself. I, I think Ireland can stand up to it for a lot of the game. I think it's very hard to stand up for it for 80 minutes. Um and it requires all eight forwards to actually feed into that. Yeah, well, that's the thing, Fiona. And, and requires nine. Requires nine to be unbelievably sharp and smart. Because then get I it mean, out. Having a ball sitting at the back of your own scrum, you have to know that they're under pressure. Yeah. And you have to get the bloody ball out. You can't be leaving it there thinking what you're going to do next. Spoken like like a, a front yeah, rower who's been who's been in who's, been in who's been in absolute hell as the number nine was having a glance around for a few minutes. I, I've killed a couple of scrum halves in my time for, for the exact same thing, you know. So, look, when you're under pressure, the, the, the key part is to try and get a clean strike. And I know the ball doesn't go in straight anymore, but if it gets stuck around the second row and the second row has to stand over it, you know, lift its foot up a little bit, that can destabilise the scrum. And when you're under huge pressure, you don't want that to happen. So you're looking for a clean strike to number eight. If it's at number eight feet and if the scrum half can gauge what the pressure is like, mm. you can have the guys to say, let's leave it there. Let's see if we can get one over them. But other than that, get it out, get it out of dodge. Yeah. Fiona, I bet we can put too much on the front row as well. Having a look at some South African media, they're definitely looking at Etzebeth and uh, Diego in the second row and looking at Ryan and Byrne and talking about that as a real area where South Africa can get on top of Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we know exactly what Ty Byrne can bring um, at back row. Um, I've said it before, second row, probably not not quite as he hasn't played enough, I suppose, in there really to be one of the best scrummagers you could possibly have playing in that position. We know Ryan can bring it. Um, Henderson is a man that you'd love to have behind you in the scrum. So those, I mean, those two South African second rows and um, uh, your man on the bench, what's the, he's... 
he was playing over in England. Mostert, Franco Mostert. I mean, yeah. he's another big guy to come on in there. So they definitely scrum time. I think that's where they might have a slight advantage, um, especially on that tight head side. He just immense power they can they can bring through and they've worked together for so many years. But I but I think t- the more we see Burn in there, and he's been getting more game time in there, especially with Ireland. He's he, I'm sure they're working on that. They're working with him to be able to sustain that pressure and you know and and be able to take that. So it is somewhere a lot of times we do look at the front row, we blame the props or we blame the hookers, but there just might not be that power coming in from behind, or it could be a slight adjustment in height could offset the whole thing. So they're going to have to be absolutely you know working as one combined and focused for all these scrums yeah what's your sense of second row here Keith uh, look I think the South African second row is excellent um, I'm they used to pick uh, Mostert as well but haven't because um, um, Peter Steftatoy is there he's a huge man as well in the back row so normally you'd say well they've got really big guys but how agile are they? How how comfortable are they? Can you do a bit of damage in them in the line out? And we have guys we can throw up into the air really well, which we do. But it's going to make that very tough as well. There, I mean, they, like this is why this is a really enjoyable game to call, an enjoyable game to watch. Is South Africa huge, and we have to learn how to deal with it. So we're going to learn an awful lot about ourselves within this. And we've had some of this discussion in the past, but. We don't make those size of men, you know, and um, we just don't, we don't have them. So you have to play differently, smarter, more agile, um, think a little bit differently. And um, look, the examples for that, for the most part, have been New Zealand consistently against South Africa. It's one of the huge rivalries, the biggest rivalry probably in world rugby. Um, And it's two absolutely contrasting styles. They're just totally different styles. But New Zealand never try and play like South Africa. They um, they will try and meet the level of uh, of aggression and physicality, but they don't try and copy them. And look, we watched the lines the the last lines tour, and for me, I I thought like you know the lines were within an ass's roar of actually of actually winning the series, right? So it's it's hard to kind of criticize it in terms of a pure winning uh, idea. Um, It was very nearly right. However, it was a terrible spectacle of rugby because you had two teams trying not to play rugby or trying, you know, well, actually one team trying to limit another team playing and South Africa playing the style that they've played for as long as they ever have. And I I never criticize South Africa for their style because it works. They play, it works incredibly well. They have huge players. They've got fast wingers that they can, you know, if there's a, a mistake that's made, yes, they can push them over from a scrum or from a line-out or a mall, but equally well, if they wear them down, they've got guys that can score from anywhere. That's the style that they play. I just don't think we need to to match it. And for me, that's like the Lions did that the last time. It made for hard watching, you know, mm. and... So, yes, it could have been close to it, but I don't know whether it would have been better if the Lions had tried to play to their own strengths. Yeah, I think we all kind of remember Finn Russell's introduction and suddenly the whole thing opening up in a way that hadn't seemed possible for the previous two and a half games. On uh, South Africa and their weapons, Fiona, uh, not least because that Lions tour went, to be fair to them, they had almost no fitness. It was COVID and and they just almost did what they had to do to, Mm -hmm. to win and the spectacle be damned. Over the last year, even a casual eye on their rugby championship games 
They do score some electric tries. I mean, maybe they only play in these moments or these flashes, but with Colby at fullback, and apparently the fans have really been calling for that, and, and so they've gone with Colby at fullback. Arenza lightning on one wing, Mapimpi on the other wing. I mean, they do score devastating tries at times as well. Like, it absolutely would be a surprise to no one, especially as the game opens up, if that back three do some damage. Yeah, that's it. It's that counter-attack there, just immense. We saw it even with the South African teams in the URC. If you kick the ball away, we saw it in that Leinster game as well. They are, they can be quite electric. You know, they know where to attack. They like to move the ball when you give them that space. And, you know, when it's when a defensive system is setting up, I think that's when they can really do damage. Colby at full-back, I mean, he's kicking game. Even he probably, he hasn't played with, uh, with South Africa since July. So he's chomping at the bit, I'd say, to get out there and, and show exactly what he has we all know we've seen him with Toulon um, you know he's probably paid a bit uh, at fullback obviously with, with Toulon and and they've been the coach and staff have been watching that and they, they want to get him in there and they want to have these options where he can play wing he can play fullback and I think there is even chat that if there is an injury he might even be going into to out half as well so it could be interesting to see with that 6-2 if there's injuries in the back line um, at 9-10 or, or, or 12 what they do and how they jig things around yeah. but Look, I I mean, our, our Denise, I mean, he was absolutely in the in the championship. He was the player to watch. I know he had that four week ban. He he tackled Bowden Bard. It was a pretty bad one in the air. But other than the, other than that, in the games he played, every time he got the ball, he just was absolutely electric and almost Colby esque. You know that you you wouldn't even know he was playing. He wears the scrum pack, similar style, similar set of feet, and you th- you have a back three that can absolutely attack from anywhere. So it will be interesting if Ireland give them that space and buy into that kicking game we'll see exactly how South Africa are going to attack that defensive system setting up yeah and even a 10 uh, Williams uh, yeah he's he, another guy he's got dancing feet as well I mean he's played a lot of 15 for them so um, there's like there is a there's a flair there Keith I think we'd all love to see them use it a bit more but it, it's there I, I, I do think they have developed far more flair and with some of the players that are going in I, I think they'll miss Am in the centre yeah. I mean, he's a very um, unheralded player uh, he is consistently fantastic defensively as well. Um, I'd be interested to see how Colby gets on at 15. He's not the largest man in the world. You know that we're going to put the ball up into the air um, and not stepping away from what we would do ordinarily, but you have to test guys that are playing and picked in positions that they don't ordinarily play at international level. So I can see that happening pretty carefully but or pretty quickly. But... Um, Look, I think they've. I, I think it's a really decent team for for South Africa. They are they are missing strength and depth. So one of the reasons I think they're going six two actually is they've no tens. All their tens are injured. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's. So instead of having another ten, they've said Colby will probably drift in from fifteen into ten if need be. That gives them the bit of scope as well. Uh, so a final word from each in this game: Who's going to win and why? Fiona, you can get the ball rolling. I think Ireland will. I think home advantage will will stand to them. Obviously, South Africa after travelling over. I think you know we talked about there's a we talked about you know players being injured and and just this is a, they haven't played a lot of game time. But I actually think it will stand to them in this game. I think you have fresh guys. Hugo Keenan. I mean they've been training with Ireland. They wouldn't be in there unless they were ready. So I think it will definitely be an Irish win. But it's going to be an immense battle and if they can't win scrum mall line out that's when Ireland might be in trouble okay Keith yeah I look 
I think our front row will be under a lot of pressure, but I, I think they'll be able to take it. Um, I think it becomes very tiring on our second row and back row. I mean, if we if we scrub as eight, um, I think it puts us in a stronger position. I think Johnny Johnny um, Sexton is playing the best. I think could be the best rugby. You know, he's not as fast as he was, but his brain is faster than it was. Um, I, I think we have, even though we have a lot of injuries, it'd be interesting to see how those injuries come back as to what the team has selected as well, as mm. to who is actually fit. So it's, it's hard to make that call. But look, I think we're still on the up. Uh, I think we're learning an awful lot. I think there seems to be a high level of curiosity in the team. Um, and as I said at the very start, I think this is, you know, we're playing against a a great team they will play very differently to how we play and how, what we're used to I think it's an ideal match for it um, I think everything goes into this game for the win and, mm. and I think it'll be tight as well but I do think we have that capacity to do it I think we have a couple of other things to pull out of the hat that we haven't already so I'd like to see that too Okay it's one to look forward to for sure uh, Just a brief mention Ireland A play New Zealand 15 in the RDS Friday night. The Ireland A team, if you're interested, Michael Lowry I mentioned is playing as is Jimmy O'Brien on the right wing. The centres, Jamie Osborne and James Hume. Jacob Stockdale on the left-hand side. Uh, Kieran Frawley is at 10. Craig Casey captains the side from 9. And then in the front row, Jeremy Lockman, Dave Herfin and Hooker, Tom O'Toole. And then in the second row, Joe McCarthy, Gavin Thornbury. And the back row is Keane Prendergast, Nick Timoney and Gavin Coombs. Uh, this uh, So Ireland A, Wolfhounds, uh, take your pick, Keith. There's, this seems to be, uh, this concept, uh, a, a bit of a rejuvenation going on at the moment across the board. What's driving that? What's driving it is trying to give as many players a level of international exposure as they can and to try and see is there a halfway step for teams coming together as opposed to playing with one team. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of the South African trip um, uh, earlier on in the year because I think it was it kind of came out of nowhere um, I don't mind them at this time of the year I don't mind them in the midst of international windows because when when the uh, provincial teams aren't playing I do think you can give another opportunity in there so um, for this I, I always thought the A, in, A matches A internationals were were vital because it isn't just a standard of the teams you're playing against. It is the different types of players, but it is coming together with players that you've never played before and getting an opportunity to shine in a slightly looser type situation. So there's a lot on it, but there's not an awful lot mm. on it. And that's an interesting pressure to have. And look, we want as many players that we can put into an Ireland squad for a World Cup. And I think that's the rationale behind it. OK, well, Andy Farrell's going to take charge that night and the first team for Saturday are all going to be there is the word. So uh, they're definitely trying to give it a certain uh, prominence, that's for sure. Uh, meanwhile, Fiona, the women's game, I guess, is a landmark week. It's one we'll remember when we're, we're charting the course of, of the women's game in this country in history. So 29 players now contracted. The high performance programme, as it's been talked about, has been uh, launched. So 29 players contracted across 15s and 7s. The uh, money, 15 to 30,000 per annum plus benefits. And I suppose uh, rather than list the 29 players, maybe the um, players not involved worth mentioning. So Nicola Friday, captain, Sam Monaghan, Neve Jones uh, certainly catch the eye. Neve Jones being the Rugby Writers Player of the Year, Sam Monaghan being the Players Player and Nicola Friday, captain. They are with English clubs. 
Uh, one of the reasons it seems is maybe that they had already signed English contracts by the time uh, the offer in Ireland had come around. Again, I, I need to confirm that. That's just one of the things I've uh, read. Those English contracts are not massively lucrative either, it should be said, somewhere between 3 and 10k uh, reportedly, I think we know about the financial issues in mm-hmm. the English game, but they're not insignificant absentees, it must be said. I think the other thing which has struck you and others about the makeup of the squad is that, is it Linda De Jong aside, mm-hmm. there's no one in the tight five contracted? Yeah, that's what jumped out at me straight away. I went through the list earlier today. I think there's um, potentially seven forwards in the whole 29 um uh, in the whole twenty squad, uh, twenty nine players. You've got um, Linda, the only probably, yeah, like, like Darty hasn't really played international second row, but possibly could. Maybe Brittany as well, but definitely, uh, you know, masters of of their trade in that tight five. There's just Linda, so that to me is is pretty worrying going forward. Um, the English players are all forwards that that didn't sign the the contracts, also that didn't want to to move back. So it's definitely look, it's 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 a brilliant thing. I think it's it's good it's the start of something rolling but what people need to realize is that they've got to start working now they've got to start working on having you know forwards in there um i suppose a lot of the forwards are seasoned in the Irish squad at the minute so they would have full-time jobs as you said playing over in England I think you spoke about contract sign Joe I would say the the standard of the week in week out rugby might have a lot to do with it as right. well they they love probably playing that um that that premiership over and it's it's absolutely belters of games every weekend we probably don't have the same standard in IL with maybe top four top five teams way ahead of, of the bunch so coming back to that I suppose they they don't want to do that all so I would imagine that's on their on their kind of radar where they they probably play better standard and they that transcribes then into how they play with Ireland. They would view it like that. Okay, well that makes a lot more sense because I'm sure their Premiership clubs, if they really wanted to go, would say, okay, listen, off you go yeah. with good wishes. Uh, the other um, point to mention, and we're back here again. So the opening rounds of the Six Nations go up against the Hong Kong Sevens. So the likes of Baby Parsons and all the others. Uh, were, I mean. I understand the women's game is coming from a totally different starting position to the men's game, Fiona. But I mean, mm. we we bemoaned this on Virgin and on Off the Ball mm. when it was happening uh, in this year's Six Nations, and it it does probably look like we're back again to losing a whole cohort of your best players for sevens during the Six Nations. It's just so alien to everything that high performance should be. I like is there is this, are we are, is this going to happen again, or is there a way around it? I think this is going to happen again, Joe. I think they're they're still looking at that. Um, they obviously you have management on a sevens that that want to that believe that they can win that seven circuit, and then you have fifteens that are looking and trying to to win a six nation. So the best players are going to be wanted by both set of manage or team uh, coaches. So I think we're going to see that for maybe this year and next year. And as those contracts go on and more players are maybe brought into these squads, then you will see people settle into that kind of, I'm playing more 15s rather than playing sevens. There are a few that cross over that will be allowed. Like I remember Anya Breen was kind of training with the sevens, but she was guaranteed maybe to play at 15s rugby. Um, but if you're contracted, you also, as far as I know, don't have that choice. So if you're contracted and you're asked to play sevens, you have to go to sevens. Right, okay. Uh, Keith, you were part of that first generation that embarked on professionalism and 
some yeah. accepted contracts, others didn't. Uh, the money, I'm sure, at the start wasn't great. And so we're seeing a lot of those patterns repeat here. It, it does strike from afar, and I'm not an accountant, and I haven't looked at the IRFU books, but it is, um, I mean, 15K for someone plus benefits is, is really, it's a part-time sum, really. It, it, it's paltry in places. You, you'd love if, yeah. it, if some more could be done in that respect for starters. Well, I do. I mean, it, it, it does come down to the affordability and sustainability of it as well, and as to how much the women's game generates. And we're going to have two or three years of where that's probably at a disconnect. And I would have said that within the two or three years, and we had this discussion at the start as to whether we thought the Irish game would go fully professional, and it could be a point of being part, you know, semi-professional for for a couple of years to try and get it to the point um even in the first year in harlequins we trained at night time and we were fully professional only not all the players were fully professional actually some of them were working in the city we had maybe seven or eight players that were worked in the city they wanted to continue their job and actually when the pressure came on that they had to go and train the daytime they said well we're not going to do it um so and within the Irish contract system from 96, when I went on, the people who were contracted tend to be much younger. Mm. Uh, a lot of the guys near the end of their career pretty much all called it a day at that stage, you know, uh, as opposed to going professional because um, it was a difficult decision to be able to make. And for them, it wasn't that difficult because it wasn't paying enough for them to, to kind of give up their job, they may have been earning more elsewhere. And th- that was been the case. And actually, when the, we had the, this discussion at the start, we wondered how many would go professional without knowing any of the numbers or anything like that. So I think we're probably in that sort of uh, halfway house stage where um, it's putting your toe into the water is what professional training and is like. But it's whether that is sustainable. And look, we know full well, 15,000 euros is it's not sustainable. Mm. So um, so to what way that works, that would be a that would be a fantastic add on when you've had nothing and you're working a job and you're able to train in the evening time. And that's part of that's part of the discussion that's going on. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how it plays out, Fiona, because I mean, any player who's on 15 or 20 or 25 who turns around to management and says, well, obviously I have to work as well Mm. like that. They'll have to be catered for because management can't say, what are you talking about? 20 K, she have loads, you know, like they're going to have to be catered for. Is there disappointment? I know you can't speak for everybody, but maybe you've you're able to pick up on the mood a touch. Is there disappointment with the money that's been offered or or what is the mood on, on the contract situation? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're they're not going to say too much, but I I, I think they ha- they knew going into it, it wasn't going to be huge amounts offered. Um, I I I suppose the disappointment is, you know, sometimes you hear of maybe accommodation being helped out with or anything like that, but it doesn't seem like the RFU can can do that. So it's it's just a rise in costs in Dublin, and yeah, and they're training obviously, you know, the all week, so you have to move to Dublin. So there definitely is a, a sense of disappointment around that. But I think it's if you look at the names on the list, a lot of the girls are young, so I think Keith's on the money there. They're 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 trying to get that group together. Obviously, they're going to have to, as I said, look at at getting some forwards I mean if you have uh, one say tight head slash loose head prop training um, full time and and the rest aren't you know and and just going to a few camps you, you'll wonder how beneficial that is to everyone and 
especially when it comes to scrum time and line out time. So they'll have to look around that and maybe they are sorting out a few things where they're able to get some of these guys some part time money as well. I'm not too sure. I just know that the money being offered disappointment there. But some of the some of the kids are obviously delighted to to have on their CV professional athlete. I mean, that's what they want to be telling people. Yeah, I mean, I have an image here of Linda going up against the scrum machine on her own, you know, like it's it's not funny even, you know, like it, it must be, I guess, look, we're at the, they're going to be teething problems as an issue. And, and with a final thought, with a view to Six Nations, it is going to be interesting to see where all the chips fall now because England and France way out in front, as we know, Ireland beaten by Wales in Dublin in the first mm-hmm. game last year, Fiona, and, and, you know, they had just turned professional in January of this year. So... That's going to be a, a that'll be the litmus test in some respects going over to Wales next year. Definitely, Wales is the big test. I mean, you're looking at England and France as well. They're both in semi-finals of the World Cup, so you'll wonder how many of them will retire, you know, and they'll be starting out a new cycle come next Six Nations as well. So look, there are a few scabs. Ireland will have both those teams at home, but I think the, the likes of Wales and, and Scotland, you know, I suppose the extra thing, Joan, we've spoke, uh, spoke about this before is because Ireland aren't in that World Cup, I think they're going, they're kind of ahead of everyone else in how this cycle is starting because there won't be any more drama offs all the retirements have happened um, with not qualifying for the World Cup so they have a chance and with these contracts I think come Six Nations time we'll definitely see um, you know is we'll see the skill set has it risen and then I suppose we'll be asking the same questions about those 7s and 15s again yeah I suspect so guys thanks so much uh, great chat Keith appreciate it enjoy the game at the weekend brilliant cheers um, great to see you both likewise Fiona Hayes a pleasure as always thanks Mel Fiona Thanks, guys. Cheers. Catch you later. Our Enjoy rugby the rugby. Coverage on Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.